Hi, this is Dr. Josh. And Dr. Doug. And this is our 22nd podcast. We thank you for listening. Uh, a lot of things to go over, so um, we've had some wonderful speaking engagements lately. Uh, in March, I was fortunate enough to travel to Vermont to speak with an excellent group about free market health care and met some physicians and patients and some legislators who were all very positive about the, the DPC movement. And then in, uh, at the end of the month in March, we went to D.C., to Georgetown, with the Benjamin Rush Institute and had a very nice debate that will be uh, on their website before too long, Welcome, uh, talking with other Georgetown professors about whether or not the government regulation improves or hinders affordable health care. So you can imagine which uh, side of the argument we took there, and it was fairly lively. Uh, but I'm, I'm actually looking forward to seeing the footage. Uh, I, I hear it was uh, it was interesting, to say the least. I'll, I'll say I went a bit country. The, the gloves <laughs> came off, and uh, I think we gave the med students in attendance a good show. And uh, so we'll say, uh, that's all we'll say about that. We'll let you watch the video. We've had some recent doctor visits. Uh, Dr. Amy from North Carolina, and, and actually Dr. Tom uh, from North Carolina, Really wonderful. Uh, we continue to love having residents, med students, and even practicing physicians out there, whether you're beginning a practice, in the middle of a practice, looking to retire. We love having people show up and look at us as uh, somewhat of a different option. Uh, actually got a letter back from Dr. Tom uh, White uh, there in North Carolina. It was a wonderful letter, sent us a gift. And Thank actually you, said for the plant and very much so it's it's looking wonderful in the waiting room by the way uh, note says thanks to you and your guidance I opened my new practice in North Carolina last week for the first time in over 25 years I felt like I was a real family physician doing things the right way for the right reasons and let's be honest wherever you are in medicine training, practice, even retired, you have to think somebody that's been practicing for two and a half decades that just now, in essence, changing only how they bill, not billing insurance, just billing the patient directly, feeling like they're practicing medicine for the right reasons, that's, I mean, that's huge. That is the biggest plus and the the biggest thumbs up to what we're doing in medicine that I've seen recently. It, it's absolutely phenomenal. Very heartwarming. Uh, we had some wonderful doctors uh, launch their practices in March. One in particular is Dr. Jennifer in Kansas, actually, in Topeka. Uh, was able to launch her website early in January, and by March 2nd had 610 patients pre-enrolled, added 60 more the first week, and by the end of the month posted on Facebook that she had 324 patients. So I think a shining example of how when it's done really well, sticking to the basics, you can launch a practice very quickly or convert a practice in her case, and patients respond to it. She stuck to our basic recipe, uh, did a few things different, but had a nice website, some basic marketing, and high-value, low-cost model, and patients responded. And again, I think that goes to show how it's not just a cookie-cutter Plan. We actually visited a residency recently and talked to them. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. But one of the questions was, can I do this? I'm moving to a rural area. Can I do this? Yes, you can. And if you're the town sole doc and it's a small enough town, 
I think it would work great. Yep. So this is this goes to show that there is no one model that works perfectly. You can do this several different ways and, and kind of manipulate it, but there are most definitely several things You tweak the recipe to yeah. your skill set and your patient population. Certain things are a must, but I think... Other than that, you can tweak it. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, this week, uh, Kristen, one of our um, fantastic support people, you may have emailed her and got a response at some point, she asked us to talk about some of the common questions we get to help doctors feel comfortable using the software or the model in general. And And not, uh, not unexpected, one of the biggest questions is billing. What did we change in DPC? Billing. So here are some billing questions. So so doctors are really nervous about dealing with the money, I think. Um, Overall, we're very uh, compassionate people, which makes the conversation about money difficult. But I think when you understand the basics of how it's set up and the whys, you really start to see how the other pieces fall together. So in in the software in particular, but I think in general how most practices are set up, For maximum convenience to the patients, you have a predictable time where you send out invoices so that they can always see what the bill that they're going to pay will be. And and that's pretty standard. Electric bill, your cable bill, your phone bill comes on a standard time. And And if it it doesn't, you start to wonder why not. So it's very, it it sets up a nice um, pattern. Yeah. And, and, And predictability. So the patient can see, just like your phone bill, what am I going to pay before I pay it, so I know that I have time, if there's any questions, to address that. And then after that, the payment in most cases for uh, DPC clinics will be set to auto charge to the patient's preferred date, because um, there's so much variances when patients get paid and when their other bills are coming out, that it really is a, a nice convenience to allow them to choose the time of the month that's best for, for them for their bill to come out. So when you look at the software, it's set up in a very specific way, and we're using that tool as such, and the more you understand how that tool is designed to be used, the more uh, you'll understand how the rest of it fits together. So for us, the membership is set for the month going forward. You're saying, the beginning of the month, I'm paying to use the doctor or the gym or Netflix for the rest of the month. That's the simple part. But then the big question that changes month to month is what we call your incidentals, your meds, your labs, your shipping charges, or any other incidentals such as imaging or uh, pathology. Even things like uh, a post-operative shoe or post-op, you know, a cam walker. Mm -hmm. We can order those sorts of things in, and when we need to bill those things out, that's a hard cost to the clinic, but still a wholesale cost to the patient. You can get it at Walgreens, but I guarantee it's going to be a lot more expensive. And so the EMR is set up to bill forward for the membership and look back for the incidental fees. Uh, And again, that's designed around the idea of maximizing the convenience for the patient. We don't want the patients to feel that they need to pay for meds and labs at the time of the visit. One, that's more burdensome for you and your staff. Two, you'll have more incidental charges and and transaction fees with the uh, merchant services but also the, the comfort of the patient knowing that when they're sick, they still get their meds or their labs even if they didn't bring their $5. And the real value of DPC making all of these things wholesale is most meds and labs are, are very affordable. So now you're, you're not spending time counting dollars. So then when as doctors get into the model, they can start to see how 
the structure of the software matches the structure of the best patient experience. But then a key question comes up often is prorating. How do I bill the first month? And, and I'll just say, first month is the, the most difficult. One, as a practice of getting off the ground. Two, the first month of any patient enrolling. Because even if you choose to have an enrollment fee, which you can, you have to decide how to bill for that first month. And most likely that first month will be a partial month. So prorating, you can base it down on the day, but then you get to the 30th day of the month and you're billing a dollar or two. That may be fine. Um, we tend to recommend that doctors bill prorate. They are A patient is enrolls before the middle of the month. It's a whole fee. If they enroll after the middle of the month, it's a partial fee. Unless a member of the family needs to be seen in that time frame, then it's a full fee. That just keeps it clean, it's easy, it's predictable for the staff, and the doctors can even go in, or the staff, at a miscellaneous fee for that first prorated month. And that basically helps to prevent those instances where somebody might come in, it's the 25th, they sign up, they get charged a prorated fee, and then they don't continue their membership. So essentially they got a full physician visit for essentially a very small fee. yeah much less than they would have gotten in an ER immediate care or any other doctor's office so it helps to kind of curtail that is it going to happen of course but it's if somebody minor. yeah if somebody's utilizing like that like that then it's probably not going to be somebody uh, as a long-term patient that understands the value of the model anyway so then month to month after you get past the first month everything starts to take care of itself and it's really designed to do that so that you can run an efficient office with minimal staff. The software will take care of notifying the patients of successful payments, unsuccessful payments. We have the iPhone app for patients to be able to manage their invoices. Um, we've just passed tax season for most patients, but February, March of each year, you'll notice patients are requesting their invoices for the previous year for their tax preparation and the software will allow you to email those yearly invoices in just a few clicks. And you can even you can do monthly but again very nicely with one click you can go from a monthly uh, a report to a yearly report right. so you don't have to actually calculate anything it's one click yearly one click email patient has it. Which brings up a great question the yearly billing. We talk with a lot of doctors about that and um, yearly billing is fine, but it does create a higher barrier for the patient to enter. Uh, $600 for the year versus $50 per month, same amount overall, but $600 per family member is more to absorb day one. Plus, if you're already doing meds and labs, then you have a need for some sort of routine billing schedule to make sure that the patient is, is paying. So monthly ends up being better for a lot of reasons. And in the end, if you're billing yearly, the one issue that we came up with was, let's say somebody pays for a year, and in six months, they move. Well, the whole point of getting yearly billing is to get more of the uh, cost or the billing up front. Well, if they move, well, you, you don't want to just keep that. If you're a good person, you know, a good business, then you're probably going to refund that other half. Well, if you've got that entire full year up front, but you're always having to keep whatever in reserve That's to give good. back, well, what's the point in getting it yearly at a time? All it ends up being is a deterrent for someone signing up. I think billing for a lot of doctors, again, feels like the hardest part. And we want you to feel like it's the easiest part because... <clears throat> 
you can over-engineer a problem, and I think that's what we did with healthcare. Here's all these random fee-for-service additional nickel and dime prices. And when you have the flat monthly membership, a per-visit fee, you constantly have to be tracking that. And is this fee, is this visit a full visit? Is that just a follow-up question? Do I add the fee? We want to get you away from having to think about billing and so that you're spending your time taking care of your patients or being with your family as opposed to managing the accounting of miscellaneous uh, incidences. And that's the really ironic or interesting part is that with coding, you are billing the patient. And we've been so far removed for so long that if I see a patient seeing three or four patients an hour, I'm billing a 99213, 99214, I don't know what the clinic is billing. I don't know what their insurance is reimbursing. All I know is that after several months, somehow that money ends up in my bank account. So every time you checkbox that little uh, uh, bit of paper or click that part in your EMR that sends a code, several months later you get paid. You are billing a patient, but we've removed ourselves from that then we feel isolated from it. But again, medicine is a business. I want to be comfortable in seeing my patients and billing them. And both of us are happy with it. Patients are happy paying me for my value. I'm happy providing that value for what the patients pay me. It comes around very nicely. But we've been doing it since the beginning of medicine. It's just with insurance, we've isolated ourselves and it's made a complete mess of everything. And now you're on the front line, and it's just a little harder dealing with that. But we want to make that, that as simple as possible for you. Um, but moving on, uh, labs is the next biggest piece. Uh, we're integrated with Quest, and hopefully we integrate with LabCorp before too long. So for uh, that will open up the opportunity for more competition between the labs. Uh, I think that's the hardest part. We're working on negotiating labs for doctors on a national level, uh, but currently with Quest, it's at an individual level. And so the doctors do have to negotiate for that, and that can be a little difficult. That's what we're here to help with. So we have our pricing list that we'll share with you. We have uh, our reps who are very familiar with the model and can talk to other regional reps and some docs will be quoted as much as $113 cash price for TSH after the, the very generous discount. And we can get that down to, of course, our $3. So some doctors say, you know, maybe I'll add that later as I get off the ground. Boy, how do you expect to get off the ground if you're not adding value for the patients? It just takes a little upfront work. I know we're not used to negotiating, but we can get that done. Now the integration process can be a little slow because we just have to wait for the bottleneck of all of the requests coming through to Quest across the system. Uh, but once we get through the initial setup phase for the doctors, then on our side we can do that in as little as a day so that we can have you live and able to order, result, and bill directly through the EMR. So it's one seamless step and you don't have to scan other documents, you don't have to add a miscellaneous fee, and now you can even customize your lab prices in the EMR so that uh, whatever you're getting locally and whatever you choose to add as, as a markup can um, be uh, manually entered and customized for each practice. 
Uh, also, a, a more recent feature is templates, which is fantastic for speed and finding those rare labs that can be a little difficult to hunt down. Uh, but also you can use the Quest 360 website to get started as a physician or to order things for the patient's insurance if they choose to use that rather than the, the standard cash client bill that most of our doctors use. And something that's come up uh, relatively frequently is, is when we utilize pharmacies, uh, looking at integrating um, you know, e-prescribing, which really has been, you know, a, a bane of the existence of some uh, Let's EMRs. call it what it is. It's yeah, a cluster. It is. And, and honestly, it's, it's part of the problem uh, in the current system. Um, faxing, though a very archaic uh, system, it still works. Uh, you know, short of actually calling the pharmacy and talking to the, the pharmacist, you know, that's one of the best ways that we've found to, to do it. Uh, Dr. Michael and I actually were at a recent conference and actually spoke with several pharmacies uh, here locally where we're at. Um, one of the biggest things that came up was uh, as pharmacies saying, you know, to our patients, well, the, it looks like the physician hasn't sent that in. Well, it's not that I didn't send it in. It's the fact that you've been inundated with other prescriptions. Somebody didn't look. Nobody saw it. It's not in your queue. Well, it doesn't look like it's been sent in. And again, it's not that it's not sent in. It just hasn't been seen yet. So really trying to, to work together very closely with pharmacies and pharmacists to say, I want to send things in in a timely manner. I want you to look at them. I want to develop a system where you can see it. And I want to take care of my patients. And with our system, if a fax goes through effectively to the patient, or, or I'm sorry, to the pharmacy, that will then email the patient that their prescription has been sent through. So it, it helps to cut down on some of that because there's some confusion. Again, we're very available, so we take those calls, but as we begin to work with pharmacies directly and say, hey, yeah, I sent this in. Hey, the patient got the uh, facts, the confirmation that, yep, it went through, it's signed, here's the SIG, this is what it says. That's really been very beneficial. Uh, so we're, we're looking very much forward to progressing with pharmacies and, and that technology of, you know, faxes are old school, but they work. So we, we've been very uh, fortunate to work with that. And, and e-prescribing with all of the um, laws, regulations, and everything, it, it's, it's tough. It's like the e-prescribing, unfortunately, we just recently talked with some of the top e-prescribing firms um, the the regulatory burden on that sinks the ship, and it creates more complications than it helps. And most likely, they wouldn't let us dispense medications alongside the e-prescribing for a variety of reasons. And and obviously, dispensing medications is one of the best values you can add to your practice because of the objective savings to the patients and the employers. And if you so, look at it before the, all this started, a physician gave a patient a prescription. The patient take the, took the prescription to the pharmacy. The pharmacy filled it. The pharmacy didn't vet anything. Honestly, they took a prescription. The patient's, uh, the fact that they took it, the physician's signature, that's the way it was. But with e-prescribing, all of a sudden we have to have, you know, months or, Coding. you know, it, it, you, you add all these things. It's, the, it's amazing to me, to be honest, that it even works. Yeah. But, you know, writing on a prescription worked 
but faxing something in or e-prescribing, now you've added 10 to 15 different hurdles that have to be overcome for the patient to get their medicine. The patient needs the medicine. The doctor decided that. The pharmacy's role is to fill that. Why should we add more of a, a governmental cluster yeah. to that? And that's what we've done. So we're we're working as hard as we can, but within the pounds of what we can. So faxing right now still is, is working well uh, for us. Yeah. But... Um We'll continue to improve all features of the EMR to maximize the doctor and the uh, patient experience. So in uh, the end, uh, we, we spoke with a residency recently and had some wonderful um, dialogue with uh, some of the attendings about trying to do some things with the residents with DPC. So the residency was actually looking at how they could apply that to the learning experience. And I think the the requirements for patient numbers might get in the way unless we can justify a pilot. But at the same time, the attendings were looking at how a longitudinal clinic for the residents may function more as a moonlighting role because then the, the residents could have a very small fee but could start to the idea of actually practicing or starting their own practice. How do I set up labs? How do I set up meds? How do I bill an invoice? And, and obviously, we're more than happy to offer the EMR for free to any residency that wants to uh, train their doctors on a DPC model. Because I think the next generations of physicians will need to be knowledgeable on how to email their patients, how to and, text their patients. And this certainly, you know, the, clearly this isn't going away. So uh, trying to ignore the Not fact that... Not if we have anything to say yeah, about it. Trying to ignore the fact that uh, direct primary care or family medicine without directly billing insurance is an idea or a concept that's going away. This is how it started. So ignoring that doesn't make any sense for sure. But the biggest uh, counterpoint to what we're trying to do would be the 1650 number, the face-to-face resident to patient number that residents need to graduate. Well, clearly, I see less patients per day, per hour, than a resident would. And as we all know, cutting resident hours, restricting that, education is all about experience. Notice how I said experience, not numbers. Yeah. Me seeing 10 patients an hour, that's a lot of numbers. What I get out of seeing 10 patients an hour, not much. But if I could see two patients an hour and learn a tremendous amount because I actually got to talk with the patient, I got to understand what their point was, I got to look up and discover their disease, I got to talk to an attending, that's education. Ten partial experiences versus two full experiences makes you know all the difference. And the longitudinal experience for the direct care patients um, is, I think, part of the, the next generation's training experience. So um, I do understand a finite number on patients. I, I do get that. But at the same time, just saying, well, you have to have X number of patients to graduate versus you have to have X amount of experience. Yeah. Old model versus new model. That's a huge difference. 
Well, again, thank you for your time. We went over our 20-minute mark. We'll try to keep these short for you. As always, you can visit us at um, iamdirectcare.com, the uh, community website for direct care practices. We also have our forum for Atlas users. You can ask questions uh, of the support team, of other direct care practices, and uh, help us shape the future of direct primary care and the Atlas software. And as you can see, even with Kristen... Uh, and and some of the things that she's forwarded on, please, we want to answer your questions. Let us know. If there's something we haven't gotten back to you about, ask. We'd love to answer. Yep. We have 10 full-time developers who need to feed their families, so they... uh, they, we, we need good ideas for them to build onto the software. Uh, you can reach us at hello at atlas.md and, of course, atlasmd on Twitter. Uh, we appreciate your time and any questions, and congratulations on being part of the direct care movement. Thanks. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks.